to introduce them to the forgiveness uh, of their sin through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we as a church, likewise, should have the same mission to reach those who are broken, to reach those who are hurting, and introduce them to salvation in Jesus. Now, this morning we're changing tact a little bit. We're looking at Christmas for the religious. Now, Christmas is a celebration of God coming in the flesh. Jesus being born of the Virgin Mary to save people from their sin. Why is this good news for the religious? Because the religious are not usually looked down upon. Well, I mean, probably increasingly in society, at least if you're a Christian. But anyway, uh, the religious normally appear to have their lives in order. They normally appear to not be very sinful. The religious are usually the ones who are talking about God. So why is the coming of Jesus good news for the religious? Because the cause of religion is pride. And pride cannot save, it only condemns. Comedian Kathy Ladman wasn't far off the truth when she said this, all religion are the same. Religion is basically guilt with different holidays. Right? That's her take on different religions. And she's not far off the truth. But the root cause of religion is pride. And we're going to see that in our text this morning. So if you have your Bible, you can up to open up to Luke 18, and we're going to read 9 to 14. Luke 18, 9 through to 14. If you don't have your Bible, sit next to a Christian. All right. Ooh, a little bit of sass, that's right. Come on, people. Okay, Luke 18, 9 to 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Note the start. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The Word of God. I love this parable. gives us an audience. It doesn't give us a type of person. It doesn't give us a race and it doesn't give us a social class. It doesn't give us anything like that. All it tells us is this, we have a proud person. The example given is of a Pharisee, but that's not what Jesus says. This is not a parable to Pharisees. It's a parable for people who trust in themselves and his example is a Pharisee. So this is a message to anyone who thinks they're pretty good. It's a parable of people who trust in their own goodness, right? That is who this is aimed at. So in our story, we have two central characters going to the temple to pray. 
a Pharisee and a tax collector. And we're going to break them up here. We're going to look at the Pharisee, and then we'll look at the tax collector. The Pharisees were the pinnacle of religious. They were on the top of the heap in regards to obeying the laws of God. In fact, anyone here ever read through the Levitical laws, etc., etc., and it seems like a lot? You're like, man, how could you ever keep all of those? Surely I'm not alone in this. Uh, They had added hundreds more. So on top of the law of God, they had added hundreds more laws. They were bound by religion, bound by law. That was the Pharisee. If you were truly religious, you not only followed the law of God, but all of the extra laws they had included as well. Much like some churches today, there are all those laws, whether they're written down or not, that you simply must follow, right? We add additional laws of people. Rules and regulations in order to please man. I mean God. No, I mean man. That's the point of them all, right? They're in order to please people. Now, the Pharisees, as we find out, found out in Luke, later on in the Gospel, loved to display their religion for everyone to see. Jesus talks about them and He said, they love lengthy public prayers. So their prayers were done so everybody could see, firstly, that they were praying, and secondly, how long they were praying. I am so spiritual. See how I'm praying? Note how long my prayer went for, right? So Jesus said, this is what the Pharisees did. That's how they lived. They gave money in such a way that everybody knew they were giving it. The offering bag came around and they were kind of like, everybody, look at what I'm doing, right? And look how large the sum of money is. They made sure that everybody saw their religious acts. So in this case, the Pharisee goes to the temple to pray. This is what he prays. Thank you, God, that I'm better than everybody else. God, you are incredibly blessed to have me on your team. God, I'm not greedy. I give the exact tithe required. Not a penny less, not a penny more. I like to have a trumpet blown so that everyone stops and looks at me, but, but still, I give exactly what's required. I am righteous. Not like those unrighteous people. Righteous means right with God. It means that my life is in right order before God. God has nothing to accuse me of. And and the Pharisees thank you that I am right all by my own work and effort. He's an impressive man, isn't he? Right with God, all by his own effort. Our holy God demands perfection. And this guy has done it. Man, come on church, pick your socks up. Seriously. Check this guy out. Then he looks around the room, knowing how wonderful he is. And he sees the tax collector. He thinks, man, I'm so much better than that guy. So much better than that guy. I'm pretty much better than everyone, but I'm better than that guy. And then he explains how he's done it. This is his prayer. So he knows how good he is, and he's celebrating how good he is. And then he explains to all of you how he has become so good. I fast twice a week. Now, I'm pretty sure that when people said to him, hey, would you like something to eat? He would have been, oh, look, I can't. I'm fasting for my second time this week. 
right? Like he made sure people knew. Or he walked around rubbing his stomach a little bit. Oh, yeah. Oh, and people were like, are you okay? I'm just really hungry because I'm fasting. Uh, you know, he made sure everybody knew how religious and how holy he was. He fasts twice a week. Rampant pride. His righteousness, his giving, his fasting isn't in gratitude to God, it's to serve himself. It's like someone with something really flash and expensive, like, I don't know, if you owned a Ferrari, um, but you wouldn't want it, it wouldn't be the same unless you had that horse logo on it. It might be a great bit of engineering and it might be a really great car, but the real thing you want is the logo so that you can show everybody how wonderful it is, right? That's what counts. And in his religion, it's not so much about him being right with God as much as it is he wants to show everybody how right he is with God. That is his religion. We would never be like this, would we? The truth is, it probably doesn't quite look the same for us. But the heart attitude can still be there. Coming to church, because it's been a few weeks, and it starts to look bad. So, gee, I'd better come along. Pride. Signing up to do some serving in church, mowing team, communion roster, because it'll look bad if I don't. And although I'm not really committed, and I'll cancel my spot every time it comes up because I don't really care, uh, but I should sign up anyway because it looks bad if I don't put my name down on something. Pride. I give a tiny fraction of my income because, you know, I should give something. Pride. When I'm not here, I talk down about everyone else at church because secretly I know I'm better than them all. Pride. I thank God that I'm not like other people because my language reflects that I feel like I'm better, right? That goes on in this church. All of those things have the same root cause, not a heart that overflows with gratitude and love for Jesus. It is simply so thankful, so overwhelmed by grace, so being softly molded into the image of Christ but a religious heart, a hard heart, a heart that feels entitled to salvation. I will do certain things because of appearance or because there's a part of me that thinks I should, but that's as far as I go. And that's a heart that hasn't bent the knee to King Jesus. That's a heart that is still believing in their own righteousness. So let me ask you, do you desire to be here? Do you long to come? Do you put off other plans to be here? Do you tell other friends, family, to work out their plans around church because I love being with the gathered saints so much. It is such a joy to my heart that everyone knows if they want me to be included in their plans, they have to work around being gathered with the bride. Why? Because of religion? No, because of passion. Ephesians 5 tells us that Jesus died for the church and the church is his bride, and he loves his 
bride and he laid down his life for his bride and you are being made into the image of Jesus and if you are like Jesus then you will love his bride and you will give up your events and time for his bride because you are like Jesus. Love and passion makes us come here on a Sunday, not religion. Right? This is what it means to be made into the image of Christ. If you're filled with the Spirit, if you are becoming like Christ, that's why you're here. If it's for any other reason, then it's religion. Now, I want to pause and just note here, there's a, another side to the same coin of pride, but it looks a little bit different. It's just as real and it's just as damaging. This is the, the what-will-they-think Christian. I want no one to know that we are struggling in our marriage. I want no one to know that my child is off the rails. I want no one to know that my house is messy. I want no one to know who I really am. If this is you, it's not because you're insecure, it's not because you have low self-esteem, it's not because people at church are so judgmental, it's because you are proud. Too proud to say that I am like other people. Too proud to say, I'm not like that Pharisee, I'm actually more like the tax collector. Too proud to admit you're a sinner, married to a sinner, with sinful children because that is your reality. Oh, but Sam, my marriage, it wasn't meant to be this way. We were meant to be the perfect fairy tale power couple super Christians that all would admire and stand of awe of. Garbage. Who told you that? It's not in the Bible. Jesus didn't tell you that. No, Jesus told you life was going to be struggle, life was going to be difficulty. The reality is that you bought a lie and now don't have the courage or humility to admit you're living out your lie, right? It doesn't work. No, that's a false promise. That's religion. That's not good news. It's not the way of joy and of healthy, happy marriages. So that's the Pharisee. Pride. Pride that either puffs up or pride that condemns. And pride keeps us separate from people. Then there's the tax collector. The tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The tax collector feels unworthy of grace. He is unworthy of grace. We are all unworthy of grace. He feels so unworthy that he can't even lift his eyes to heaven. Feeling the weight of his sin, he stands far off. He stands separated not only from God, but separated from people because he knows he is unworthy and he's created a barrier between God and him and people and him. He's not parading his life for others to see. He has no idea of who is watching him. His sin is a public one. Everyone knows who he is and he has one prayer, God have mercy on me, a sinner. 
I have no righteousness of my own. I do what is wrong. I've cheated people on their taxes. I don't give what I should to the temple. I don't remember when I last fasted. I have nothing to give, nothing to offer. I am nothing. God have mercy. No pretense. No show. No long prayer so that people can see how spiritual he is. Simply striking his chest. Not as a show, but as an expression of the anguish of felt pain. Note that in our text, the Pharisee sees and looks down on the tax collector. There's no mention that the tax collector even knows that the Pharisee or anyone else is there. I want you to think about this. The proud person has eyes for people. The humble person has eyes for God. The proud person has eyes for people. The Pharisee notices the tax collector. The tax collector at this stage doesn't have eyes for God. He's actually looking at his feet. Except we know the story's going to change and his eyes will be lifted to God in, in glorious grace, right? But I want you to think about that, church. The proud person looks at other people either in condemnation or, well, always in condemnation, either condemnation of them or condemnation of self. The proud person has eyes that look around the room. The humble person who walks in grace has eyes that look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. Right? The gospel person fixes their eyes on Jesus. Jesus says to the tax collector, well, he doesn't say to him, he tells us in our story, I tell you, this one, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Justified, declared legally right with God, which means no offense, no debt, no penalty to pay, full and complete righteousness. Why? Because Jesus, on the cross, paid the full penalty and sin of the tax collector. The full debt was paid. And the tax collector brings nothing apart from, have mercy on me, I bring nothing. And Jesus says, that's perfect, because I've done everything. And he receives total free salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through that, he receives joy, the feeling of being cleansed and, and right with our maker, a desire to be with people and tell them about the saving grace of God, a desire to tell people of the good news of Jesus. The tax collector hadn't lifted his eyes to heaven, but now justified, forgiven by grace, he's got a heart that's born again. And I tell you, he would march out of that temple telling everybody there's a way out of religion, there's a way out of condemnation, there's a way out of guilt and shame, there's Jesus and total grace. The change that comes from simply throwing yourself on the mercy of God. But the Pharisee, he receives no justification. Note this, the Pharisee returns home feeling superior. 
he got to go to the temple and not only pray in a public way so that everyone noticed, he also got to feel good and puffed up because he got in his own mind to condemn the tax collector. What a good day. Not only do I already know I'm good, but I actually had physically someone present that I could feel better than myself about. What an awesome time at church. Right? That's the Pharisee. So he goes home going, what a wonderful day. I've worshipped God. I've spent my time in the temple. Gee, maybe tomorrow I should work another fasting that I can tell people about. And Christ says, you receive no justification. None. Because he's trusting in his own works to get him to heaven. And God's standard is perfection. And you cannot attain it yourself. You cannot attain it yourself. And so he trusts in himself and he goes home feeling good, but he will never be saved. He will never be saved. Now I called this message Christmas for the religious. And all I've done is paint a picture of damnation for the religious. So we'd better get around to the actual Christmas part for the religious. Why is Christmas good news for the religious? Because there is a way out of the religious proud. A way out for those whose self-exaltation does not lead to salvation. A way out for those whose pride leads to self-condemnation. And that is the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus. The good news is that Jesus paid the penalty of your sin. 100% in full, apart from anything you've done, apart from your works, apart from your weighing yourself against other people, Jesus, 100% before the creation of the world, chose you, chose you from the beginning of your life to the finish of your life and every sin in between your birth and death and paid the penalty in full. Right? That is the good news. Nothing you do or don't do has any impact on your salvation if you are born again and a follower of Jesus. That is the good news. Jesus gives you life when in humility you surrender all to him. Church, this is the good news for those crushed by the weight of appearance. Why? Because no one is better than anyone else in the church. No one is more deserving of salvation in the church. Everyone, if you look around this room, is simply a sinner saved by grace. Right? That is why appearances are ridiculous in the church. Who cares? You know what I'm looking at here? Sinners saved by grace. You know what you're looking at here? A sinner saved by grace. Over there, sinners saved by grace. That's it. Full stop. That's the good news. Right? No one here is special. No one here earned a thing. Jesus paid the penalty of our sin. That's it. I don't need to keep up with anyone's expectations. I need to love Christ and follow him. With my brothers and sisters. To support one another, rebuke one another when we need it. But we are sinners saved by grace. The reality is, church, they might look different. But the sin of the person feeling ashamed and putting on a false life is equaled by the sin of those who are judging themselves better. 
right? They're both sin. They're both wrong. The sin of harsh judgment on self, the sin of judging others is the same sin. They're both wrong. They're both not the good, they're both not the good news. They both result in condemnation. The answer is the gospel. The good news that you can get off the treadmill of religion and come to grace. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Not come to me all of you who are doing well, achieving it all on your own. Come to me if you're right on top of the game and everyone knows you're righteous. No, come to me all of you who are weary and heavy laden all of you crushed and bowed down by expectation of trying to live out your own righteousness, come to me, says Jesus. Stop trusting yourself. Repent of your self-righteousness and trust in my death and resurrection and I will give you rest, peace, apart from works, the grace of God, the free gift of salvation, where we can rest in what Christ has already done. That is the good news for the religious. That is the reason we can let go of pride and comparison and rest in the grace of Christ who freely offers salvation to those who would believe. Church, that's good news this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel, the good news, Lord, that you have paid the full penalty of our sin, Lord, that when we turn away from trying to do it ourselves and we jump off that treadmill of self-condemnation or self-exaltation, Lord, when humility, we just throw ourselves at Jesus' feet and give him our lives, Lord, we receive grace and peace, forgiveness. Lord, I pray for everyone here that they would learn to give their lives completely to Christ and experience the joy of complete and utter free salvation. Lord, we pray this in your precious name. Amen. Now, one quick note to finish before the band takes back over. We do have that quick partners meeting at the end, and I just want to say this. Last meeting, about a month or so ago, there was about 16 partners here, roughly, who were at church and then left and weren't here for the meeting. Uh, part of being a partner is we actually need you here because it affects numbers and legally being able to do things. So please, if you're a partner, it'll be a short meeting and we really, really would love you to stick around and be able to uh, take part in that meeting. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Sam. Uh, let's stand and sing our final song, This is Amazing Grace. <laughs>